Hello and welcome back to another month of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals Analysis with Scott Johnson and Chris Ye of Blitz Scaling Ventures. All right, Scott, today we're going to be looking at deals that were announced in January of 2022. New year, pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, and the pace just keeps clicking along, Chris. We've got 152 deals that we have encountered that were announced in January, and I'm going to go down the numbers for a seed A, B, and C. So seed rounds 23, seed rounds, A rounds 42. So a lot of A rounds this month, uh, B rounds 32 and C rounds 22. So you kind of see the natural progression there from A to B to C. Not all A round companies get a B round. Not all B round companies get to a C round. And, you know, it's, it's also true down to D and E and, you know, some of them get acquired. They don't all go away in a bad way, but you know, it's, 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 uh, it's always a, a war of attrition out there in startup land. So the um, still a robust set of deals for January. Well, I do like to remind people that Google went public after only a single Series A. Although these days, I guess the twenty-five million they got from Kleiner and Sequoia would be called a Seed One or something like that. Yeah, 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 and it would be done in a safe at, that would convert at the IPO at a ten percent discount. <laughs> that would definitely change the equation for those early Google investors. I'm not sure Kleiner and Sequoia would be happy about that. Oh, they wouldn't have made quite so much money that way. They'd still be fine. Uh, all right. So we have seven companies to talk about today. Uh, they range in score from 80 to 92. I need to remind everyone that we score these companies on a 100-point scale and it's for blitz scalability and there are seven aspects of the business that we look at and if they score well particularly on the first two which are winner take most market and viral growth then they can get a pretty high score 80 is very rare right so 152 deals and only seven of them met the test so it's it's really not your average venture deal. I mean, all of these companies we're looking at, let's remember, got funded by top tier investors. So those 152 are from the likes of Benchmark, Sequoia, Excel, et cetera. And yet only seven of them are what we consider blitz scalable. So that's the the filter we're putting things through. And you know, not there are great deals that aren't blitz scalable. We just have this single area of the market that we're most interested in where we want to see a winner take most company that can really scale fast. So uh, let's start with a company that's in a very sleepy old industry called B2B food distribution, Chris. Uh, what's the name of this company and what on earth do they do? So the company's name is Buffalo Market, and what they do is they help the various food brands distribute their product to grocery stores and other chain retailers. And this is as boring as you can imagine it, because if forever, this has been dominated by a small number of major distributors that do things the same way they've been doing it for decades. And that's why I think a lot of people have overlooked this market. But Buffalo Market has come in and started really shaking up this market. There are one or two other competitors. Pod Foods is probably the most prominent one that's trying to do something similar. 
and they are succeeding and growing at an incredible rate by providing a better solution for the brands and a better solution for the retailers and taking market share from the fat, dumb, and happy incumbents. And the thing is, you normally we say, well, hold on, they're incumbents. Why don't they have some sort of major advantage? Shouldn't they have captured the market? Shouldn't they be able to print money? And the answer is the nature of the market itself has been changing a bit. So if you want to think about distribution, distribution was really set in place during the era of the big brands. And during the era of the big brands, everything's owned by Procter and Gamble and General Mills, and everything's based around the mega brands. People go to the store and they look for the familiar brand. They see the commercial on television and so on and so forth. And there really isn't a lot of information available. So this is the fundamental proof point behind issue behind branding, which is you go and you buy a brand that you're familiar with because you're sure that the quality is going to be there. But what's happened in the world of the internet, we're all globally connected. Now all of a sudden, people are doing things based on brands that they see on social media. They do their own learning. They're looking for niche brands, artisan brands, things that really speak to them. For example, you may not be aware of the YouTuber Mr. Beast. Scott, I don't know, are you a big Mr. Beast fan? Uh, this is the first I've heard of Mr. Beast, I'm embarrassed to say. Well, Mr. Beast is a very famous YouTuber, does all sorts of wild and crazy stunts, but he's built up such a following that he's actually launched Beast Burgers, which is a ghost kitchen burger chain, which is growing incredibly rapidly. This is not something that would have happened in the past. It's not like Procter & Gamble or General Mills would say, let's go ahead and do this. But now, if you have a broad enough following, you can actually launch things. And then, of course, there are all the actual food entrepreneurs out there making great new brands. When you look in your own pantry, Scott, is it all just hey i just want the brands i've known for 30 years are you trying new stuff no 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 because we've been trained that if the item has a long list of ingredients that you cannot pronounce then you should not put that in your body right so a lot of these new brands are sourcing sourcing locally they're much sort of more pure in their ingredient list and they have fewer preservatives and funky names and that really appeals to the modern consumer particularly the modern young consumer so the you know, the old delivery companies that sort of just went to Procter & Gamble, picked some stuff up and brought it to the target, um, they're going to keep doing that. There's still a lot of volume there. But just the way we saw beer was transformed by all the craft brewing that's going out there. Food, there's a lot of craft food production going on out there and the consumers are dying to consume it. And so somebody needs to distribute it and it turns out that also the other problem with these items is that when they do catch fire, they sell out really fast. So there's a lot of stock outs. So the consumer will come to the store saying, oh yeah, I saw this really cool new sort of nice soda the other day and I, I bought it here and I came back to get it again and it's gone. And the traditional distributors come like once a week. And so if the stuff sells out in two days, then it's gone. They don't get it for another three or four days. And that is lost revenue. And nobody likes lost revenue in anywhere in the value chain. So that's another big advantage that Buffalo Markets has is they have smaller trucks. They deliver more often and therefore avoid stockouts. And so the revenue for the store goes up and the stores love it. And of course, Buffalo Market loves it because they get more revenue too. And the brand is really excited because their in-store sales go up and it's just a, a new model of distribution for this new model of product. 
And suddenly there's an opportunity to go after this $500 billion industry that is wholesale food. Actually, I think that the estimate is, is more like $1.5 trillion if you count convenience stores and other things like that. So it is an absolutely colossal market, which is one of the reasons why it has good scores. Before we get to the scoring, I just want to relate that this is also a fascinating company because of how we know about it. So this is actually a company where it is a, if you say, if you would want to say it, a born blitzscaler. The founder of the company, Adam, was a part of a blitzscaling boot camp that I helped run a number of years ago and stayed in touch with him. It was apparent from the first day we met him that Adam was going to do an amazing job. And he was actually brought in to this program uh, by one of the partners and, and Jeff had Jeff Abbott, our other partner, had vetted him and, and we developed a relationship with Adam and stayed in touch with him. And after he graduated from the program, this was before Blitzscaling Ventures existed, actually made a personal investment in the company. And it was actually before Buffalo Market, it was known as Ride On, and the idea was it was gonna help taxi cabs compete with Uber. Well, how the hell do you get from taxi cabs competing with Uber to grocery distribution? Well, the first thing that happened is when the pandemic hit, taxi cab business went to zero. And Adam's like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? But he's a born entrepreneur, so it only took him a couple of days to say, you know what, nobody can go out, people need groceries. And he began operating a grocery delivery service. The idea was, well, we use taxi cabs to do it. But initially, before trying to convince the taxi cabs to do it, he actually drove his own car around the Bay Area delivering groceries. He'd pick it up from the Whole Foods or whatever and drive it over to some place, almost like an Instacart. Now, that seems absolutely insane. But he discovered a couple of important things. Probably the most important thing is, unlike Instacart, his focus was on getting the orders and then delivering them the next day. This next day delivery principle allowed him to be much more effective and efficient in terms of picking up goods and routing them and so on and so forth. And in the early days, the company was actually funded, its working inventory was funded by me taking money out of my ATM every day and giving the cash to Adam because that was the easiest way for him to actually get the goods. He didn't have a bank account at that point. Anyways, he started doing grocery delivery, eventually realized a lot of his customers were restaurants and grocery stores who were like, hey, we can finally get stuff the next day instead of having to wait a week. And the rest, as you say, is history. The company has grown tremendously and is just doing incredibly well now. So my big question for you, Chris, is are they tracking their inventory using the blockchain and are they selling NFTs of these products that they are distributing? <laughs> Sadly, no. Maybe that's something we could convince them to do in the future. Because obviously they could double their valuation in overnight if they just put those two words in their in their pitch deck. Uh, good. All right. So that's Buffalo Markets. A $20 million Series A was announced. But we and, need to score them. And uh, oh, yeah, of course. I said that I, I think I said they got an 80. But how did we get 80 uh, in Buffalo Markets? Well, Winner take most. Let's think about that. It's, 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 it, there's already big players there. You know, could they be a winner take most when there's such a big player? How do you score that? So this is the fascinating thing. This gets to there being dynamics that you know we're not aware of as lay people uh, that are looming underneath the surface of the industry. So the way things work is that you just can't sell to every grocery store. In fact, every grocery store, every grocery chain has a system where they assign people vendor numbers. And if you're a distributor like Buffalo Market, you can only sell into the chains where you have a vendor number. But the good news is if you're working with a hot brand that people really want to have in the stores, 
they will give you the grocery chains a vendor number that you can use and that is useful not just for the brand that is bringing you into the store but for any other brand you choose to sell into the store as well so there's this interesting little land grab element where you have some uh, you have these vendor numbers that you're acquiring to build up distribution and you're also doing it in a way where there's some network effects and there are some uh, virality effects so the brands themselves are going to go ahead and the more you are able to get vendor numbers at different chains the more valuable you become to the brands because you can sell them into more places and so actually indirectly bringing on more brands which leads to bringing on more stores and more vendor numbers makes buffalo market more valuable to each of the individual brands but then look at it from the other side of the marketplace from the perspective of the grocery chain all of a sudden the more brands that are on buffalo market the more things you can get daily delivery on the more things you can avoid stockouts on the more things you can get actual visibility into the inventory and and tradition and actual up-to-date systems instead of faxing things back and forth and so the more brands are available in buffalo market the more appealing buffalo market becomes for the chains as well so we have this nice a virtuous circle where as we add brands it brings on more brands as we add brands it brings on more retailers as we add more retailers it brings on more brands and as we add retailers it ultimately brings on more retailers so there's actually a pretty good set of network effects and virality which is why we gave them the nine and a nine the reason we didn't give them a 10 out of 10 is because it is not purely exclusive right you get a vendor number but that doesn't lock the brand into you forever they could theoretically defect they probably won't because buffalo market has a better product and a better service and it's been stealing brands away from its main competitor pod foods but nonetheless it's not the same as these people are locked in forever they can never leave so we can't give them a full 10 out of 10 but a nine and a nine is still enough to get them into that blitz scalability range but so you just described this really simple way to get a vendor number to deliver to Costco. I mean, why can't hundreds of people do that? It, it sounds so easy. It does sound easy, but you have to have the credibility with the brands. And this is the thing about all of these marketplaces, anything with a cold start problem, you've got to develop the actual credibility so that they'll sign up with you because the brands can choose to sign up with someone, but they don't want to sign up with someone unless they believe they're going to actually increase their sales. And we can't give you the private information, but suffice it to say that the brands that Buffalo Market brings onto its platform almost universally experience dramatic increases in sales. And when you know that you're going to get an increase in sales, it's not just a matter of, well, let's just pick one. It's like, okay, this is going to increase my sales. And it doesn't cost me anything to help them get a vendor number for that matter. It's just a matter of working with the store. Okay. Now we gave this company a nine in product market fit, and we almost never do that. And I think it's because we know the product really well at this point, because we've been so involved in the company. But how else are you thinking about product market fit here, Chris? Well, the classic way to think about product market fit is to think about frequency and intensity of usage. And what we see when we look at their business is that when a brand starts working with Buffalo Market, its sales shoot up and actually continually shoot up over time. We figured eventually it must top out somewhere, but we haven't seen that yet, right? We see brands that are steadily increasing their sales over the course of months and months and months of operation. And that is a textbook increase in the intensity of usage. And meanwhile, the frequency of usage, that's one of the reasons why they're winning against the stodgy competitors, because they have these daily deliveries. So all in all, 
it seems to be working and there's incredible evidence based on the revenues and based on the defections from other from other distributors that it's really something that fits the product in the market yeah we can't reveal their revenue growth here but it is eye popping it's amazing and so the product market fit is certainly validated by that rapid growth market size we we're sort of arguing whether it's 500 billion or one and a half trillion. I, I, I think that one and a half trillion is at retail. And so you have to take away, you know, 30% of that to get to the, to the wholesale market, but it's a big market. It's, it's, we should really, we gave it a 10 out of 10, but you could probably get away with giving it a 12 out of 10. It's just enormous market. It's all the food eaten in America uh, at wholesale level. It's a huge market. The gross margins here, they do take possession of the food. So we can't treat this like a true marketplace, can we? Well, they do take possession of the food, but the working capital operates on a negative capital cycle. So they don't have to pay the suppliers for the food. They're just, uh, they're not taking, they're not actually taking it on as inventory. They're getting paid to get it into the stores and it actually is negative working capital, which is always helpful when you're trying to grow quickly. You always love that negative working capital cycle. And then from a gross margin perspective, of course, groceries tend to be lower margin, but what Buffalo Market has seen is that it can actually achieve higher margins, significantly higher by a factor of several X than the stodgy competitors because the brands are seeing the value of the sales lift and the stores are seeing the value of the revenue lift. And as a result, they're actually getting better margins than the incumbents. Good. And then there's scalability. We're taking possession of food. So that means logistics. That means... Uh, in this case, it doesn't mean working capital, but it does mean that there's people that have to do that well. And so, you know, scalability wise, we gave an eight for org organizational. That's, you know, how many people does it take to run the place well? And also operationally, it is a little complicated to handle food, particularly if you get into perishables. Right now, they're not doing perishables, but um, it's it, nevertheless, you, you've got to order stuff and have it on hand so that you don't have stockouts. And that takes really good systems and takes really great people to implement them. And so we, you know, we gave a seven to the op scalability and the market sizes and the and the winner take most aspects and the distribution aspects here are driving our excitement for this business. It scores an eighty. Anything above eighty is rare, and this is uh, this is an exceptional company. I love it when we talk about company growth and it's measured in week over week growth rather than month over month or quarter over quarter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's it's, it's scary how quickly this one's expanding. Okay. Next is a really fun one because it's a new football league and it's so cool. It's called fan controlled football and they've done it. We, we actually looked at this one a while back and thought, well, that's interesting, but didn't get too excited about it. We still have our, you know, our concerns here, but they did a $40 million series. A Lightspeed is in this deal and it's just what it says. It's fan controlled football. And it's not a, a, a game that you play online. It's actually a real football league where football games are actually played in a stadium and the fans get to control which plays are run. And so it's like a real game that you play in real time and it all unfolds out there on the field. And if the fans think that they should, uh, you know, throw it long on fourth down, then Doggone it, that's exactly what happens. 
And it's fascinating. I, 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 I just, I get so excited thinking about the, you know, the armchair quarterbacks actually becoming active play callers. And so this is, um, you know, you get to call a blitz when you, we got to blitz this guy, you know, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's sounds super fun. It sounds like a sports league that could be differentiated enough to take off and sustain itself. That's the question here, but Chris, I don't know, like the, the USFL or arena football, are, are, are those blitz scalers? Like, can we really call this a blitz scaler if it's a, it's a upstart sports league? So upstart sports leagues do sometimes succeed, but the odds are definitely against them. Uh, I will also say that I was watching the Super Bowl recently. You can bet if the Super Bowl were being played under fan-controlled football rules, Rams fans would have abandoned the running game a lot sooner than the final drive, I can tell you that. So thinking about you know, the analogy, what is the right analogy for something that succeeded here? Because again, we've seen the USFL, we've seen the XFL multiple times fail. The analogy of something that has succeeded along these lines, kind of a sport, kind of not, is all elite wrestling or AEW. The WWE has been the dominant player in professional wrestling for so long. But what AEW did is they came away and, and took away a significant slice of the market. By the way, before there was the WCW World Championship Wrestling as well. Wrestling perhaps is, is more amenable to upstarts. But with AEW, what they did is they, again, did something that was more for the fans. So World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, had gotten used to sort of like, hey, we're going to have these big, giant, muscular guys, and we're going we're to have these big stories, and we're going to decide that this person's going to be our champion, and he's always going to win. And AEW said, no, actually, we like the guys and gals who are a little more limber, who are more athletic, who are going to be able to go in the air. They'd never be in the WWE. They're not big and muscular enough, but they can wrestle for us, and we can focus on the things that some of the hardcore fans really like the aerial nature of it and getting people to really talk more and allowing the wrestlers to show their personality instead of staying on script and it's actually been extremely successful so i do think that there is uh, an opportunity for a differentiated product now it's a little easier on the wrestling side because people know it's entertainment not a sport but I do think that there is interest, right? People have been very interested in the big three basketball league that's been playing a couple of years now. Ice Cube is one of the people involved there. And it's interesting because, you know, you're getting to see street ballers play with retired NBA players and things like that. So I think that there is a lane where it might succeed, but it is a narrow lane and it's going to be tough. Okay. Well, that's, I, you know, it's just a lot of fun to think about it, this innovation where the fans are controlling it. Uh, how do you think about winner take most? And, you know, we've gave it a 10, but why? Yeah, so this is actually an area where we disagree because I argued it shouldn't get a 10. But uh, I think that we ended up saying, okay, we'll, comp we'll, we'll go ahead, we'll give it a 10, we'll talk about it on the show. So the argument for winner take most is once the fans really develop a sense of loyalty to a team, they're going to stick with it. And it's a great land grab element. You know, we've seen it over and over again. Like whoever your childhood team is, you never abandon them, or at least you don't unless you're a soulless villain. And so as a result, there really is a strong land grab element to sports. And being the first fan-controlled football league could really give them a lot of benefits. And the other thing, of course, is that, you know, sports leagues do tend to be essentially marketplaces, right? It's, you know, we have this set of teams, they play against each other, we have this 
uh, essentially, uh, I guess the word for it is an oligopoly where there's we don't allow new teams in, and this is what's been established, and that's why these teams are so valuable. So we see that winner take most play out across sports leagues. Again, I think that the question is, will it play out? I'm not convinced it will, but if it does play out, yeah, it could be winner take most. Well, it's just fascinating where it's 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 where real sports meet esports. Uh, it's 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 it's. I, I just think it's a cool space, and I can't wait to. I think there are eight teams now, so it's not like they're just two teams battling it out for first and second place. They actually have a real league, and they've grown from I think a couple of teams to eight. So, uh, if they keep adding teams and keep uh, building fan base around those teams and improve the gameplay and the fan experience, all things they can do. I think there is a winner take most element to this. It's a very different experience, I think, from watching the NFL, which is the best athletes. This is an experience where it's, it's more like a game than a sports league in that you don't have the world's best players. You have really good players who are capable and, and it's competitive, but you get to control a part of it. And so I, I think it's a terrific innovation. All right, viral growth, you know, yeah, if you're doing this, then you're gonna tell your friends and they're gonna tell their friends and then you can have your favorite team and you're gonna to get together and play call together. And there's a whole lot of sort of community uh, social aspect to this that I think gives us a nine out of 10 for viral growth and product market fit. We gave it an eight, you know, they're pretty far along here. It's pretty, I watched some of their live stream. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's darn entertaining and there's terrific engagement for the people that are engaged. So their real challenge is going to get more to get more people to pay attention. And that's every sports league is like that, but uh, customer acquisition cost, I think, in a sports league has got to be pretty high. Hopefully that viral nature of it will keep the train rolling on customer acquisition without spending too much of that, that $40 million. Uh, market size, well, it's huge. We all know that live sports is an enormous market. We gave it a 10. Gross margin, you know, how do these things monetize? Well, Usually you can sell tickets to the games. And in this case, you still can. The tickets are, you know, the, the games are played live, so you can go see them. But I think there's also a lot of other monetization options here that are very high margin. And when fans want to participate in, they have to pay for that participation. And that's, that's you know, pure margin. So we gave it an eight uh, on gross margin. And then we, this, I think this is our worst scalability score of all time. What do you think, Chris? Pretty low. We gave it a six on org and a three on ops. And on the org side, obviously, you got to recruit football players. You actually have to go out there and, and the product is people and you have to find them and, and evaluate them. And the NFL has a whole system for doing this. And then on the ops scalability side, boy, you know, it's one thing to run a social network. It's another thing to have stadiums, fans, concessions, coaches. Oh, my God, this is a huge amount of work. Yeah, so it's a three on upscalability. Overall scores an 81. So it's it's still a blitzscaler as long as you believe in that winner take most market 10, which Chris does not. So it wouldn't have made the wouldn't have made the list for Chris, but I wanted to talk about this company and so did Chris. And so he said, all right, well, we'll give it a provisional 10 and put an asterisk next, next to it. 
So that's boy, we're only through two deals and we've been talking. We gotta for a pick up time. the pace. Oh my god, because I'm supposed to give a talk in, in 40 minutes, 39 right. minutes. So we will okay. we'll right. go a little right. bit faster. Uh we, we right. got so excited, these are so fun to talk about. All so right. all right, let's I'm, talk uh, about game time. So we are gonna um, start blitzing. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna alternate and blitz through them. And we'll go I'll go and then you'll add anything that you want, but we'll actually talk about the thing, the company and the score at the same time. Okay. So game time, uh, brilliant concept, what it is is last minute tickets. And so if you are leaving your office, you're like, hey, I want to go see the Warriors game tonight. You go into game time and get last minute tickets. And it's a really quick experience. It takes you like 30 seconds to get the tickets instead of a horrible process you've no doubt gone through with Ticketmaster before. And it can be very social. You can actually buy tickets for your friends. And then your friends have it on game time as well. And you all go to the game. So that's what's really fascinating about it. it obviously, you think to yourself, well, Ticketmaster's got this market locked up. But it turns out, yeah, Ticketmaster has the market locked up for what's called primary ticket so selling the tickets to the games up front but that doesn't exist for last minute tickets right it's all secondary because almost everything is always sold out to begin with and so the secondary ticketing market has been growing it was one percent about a decade ago it's up over two percent now and it's expected to get to three percent very soon as more and more stuff happens last second and if you think about it this pandemic has made it even more important to make out to stop making these long-term plans and try to sort of say okay we're free tonight can we go do it? So game time, great, great product. They have tremendous growth metrics and even more importantly, tremendous product market fit in terms of retention and usage. So looking at game time, we gave them eight out of 10 on winner take most. The reason we didn't give them higher is you know, they're competing in a crowded marketplace. And even in secondary, you've got the stub hubs and vivid seats and seat geeks of the world. Game time's metrics blow them all away but it is a challenging market to dominate. The viral growth and distribution, here they have this great thing where it's actually tapping into people's social networks, right? You're gonna get people who are going to say, hey, what do we wanna to do tonight? And game time's gonna be the answer to that. We love this idea. And we think that it is going to become even more prominent with the young audience that game time serves. Product market fit, uh, very good. We gave it an eight out of 10. Uh, you still need to do a little bit more. We want them to see them buff up that virality component, buff up that social component some, but it's already for its core uh, function of buying tickets, very good. Market size, uh, absolutely enormous. As we mentioned, it's incredible market for sports and entertainment, gross margins. It's a marketplace business. They have a standard kind of take rate, which is towards the high end actually. So 10 out of 10 for that. Uh, org scalability, we didn't give them a full score just because you know you have to go out there and have team uh, have a team of salespeople actually getting the ticket uh, supply and working with teams and doing business development and also customer service because if you're doing something last second you really want to go and you want to reach someone right away you can't wait until the next day and so some challenges on org scalability but on the op scalability side we really like it because it's all digital no paper tickets no nothing so overall that gives them a score of 82. any comments scott well, I should mention that it's a Series C that is 30 million in size, and the fancy investor in this one is Excel, and they've been there since the A round and are continuing to support the company. So, uh, you know, we we just we really love the team here too. We we know the CEO well. We've known him for a while, and he's done a terrific job growing this business, <laughs> despite the fact that it all went to zero during the pandemic. Nobody was going anywhere. So it, it's just, it's such a good story when something like this comes out of such a difficult 
uh, time and, and is thriving actually now that everybody's waking back up and going to events again. All right, next we have Rupify and it's buy now, pay later in India. And it's yet another BNPL play and we score them all the same, right? So it gets about an 82 because BNPL is a land grab. You want to get all of the e-commerce companies you can as fast as you can. Uh, distribution's a little, you know, you can do it through some of the, the platforms that all these e-commerce companies use. And so you get a decent score there too. It's nine and nine and neither of those is a 10. And then, you know, the rest of it is what you'd expect. There's good product market fit, BNPL, everyone loves it. The market size is enormous, 10 out of 10, gross margin, 10 out of 10, it's payments, uh, organizational scalability, op scalability, you know, it's it, 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 when people have trouble with things to do with money, they're pretty noisy. And so we, we gave it an eight out of 10 for org scalability, just customer service has to be really strong with these companies, op scalability, it's fine, you know, they're not they're not handling things. There's nothing complex about this business per se. So there's a $25 million series A round here that got done and it is Bessemer and that is the A round investor here. Tiger Global is also a participant in this A round. We're seeing Tiger do more and more A's. It used to be all B's and C's and they're, they're moving earlier. So we, um, you know, it, it's hard to jump up and down, Chris, isn't it about yet another buy now, pay later company? It is. I think that the main argument for it is buy now, pay later for India. India is rapidly becoming the land of blitz scaling. Blitz scaling is at the top of the sales charts over there. People love the book. And I think that, again, we just are looking for these markets where the geography and language are going to create a moat around that's going to block other people out. And I think that there's a moat and that they can do this for India. But uh, that being said, you know, a lot of challenges. And yeah, it, it does get a little boring sometimes just to see these companies over and over again with the same model. But if it works, it works. So next up, we've now crossed the halfway mark. We've done four companies, so we're doing well. We're going to continue to accelerate through this. Next one is something called Observable. And what Observable does is it provides a way for developers and data scientists and everyone else, could be journalists, educators, employees, what have you, to really visualize data in a clever way. And it's got advanced data visualization tools and it is shareable. So other people can come in and collaborate and comment and contribute. And that is what makes it really exciting. Right. And the, the winner take most market, obviously, it's a classic sort of operating system platform play. The more people who adopt it, the more people who are likely to adopt it. It becomes the industry standard viral growth or distribution. It has the public facing element of it, which is one of the things we love for an enterprise software company. It's something where people are going to be sharing and using it as a core part of their data visualizations. Product market fit still very early on. So we gave it a seven so far. We have tried playing around with a little bit. It looks good, but you know, it's tough to make collaboration plays work. And then the biggest issue with it is market size. So we gave it an eight for market size. The way to think about this market size is you could say, well, uh, on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, guess what? Data is the future. It's kind of like the graduate, but instead of plastics, it's data, big data, data all the time. And maybe that's true. 
Or maybe it's not. Maybe data remains a niche and data scientists represent a tiny fraction of those involved and maybe it's just them, in which case the market size is not nearly so large. So we compromised, gave it an eight. In terms of gross margin, org scalability, and op scalability, as is the case for a pure software product that does not involve payments going back and forth, 10 out of 10 on all those, that gives it a final score of 83. Yeah, uh, let's look at the, the round that got done. Okay, it's $35 million, uh, Series B. And we have Menlo in there. And is anyone in Sequoia? So, you know, really strong, strong investor syndicate here that, uh, that, you know, a good Silicon Valley play that are located in San Francisco. So not quite Silicon Valley, but, you know, it's, a, it's in that area and we, um, you know, it, 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 you kind of got to use it to, to check it out. And I, so let me give you the, the URL. It's observable HQ. So all one word, observable HQ and .com. Uh, so if you're looking for it, that's where you'll find it. The um, fan control football, by the way, is fcf.io. And the others are kind of what you think they are. Okay down to plan radar and anybody who's done a construction project particularly in the pandemic with all these issues around sourcing is pulling their hair out or may have none left to pull out right it's just it's it's chris has been going through this it is difficult to get work done and it all seems so uncoordinated for those of us who are used to seeing you know, these rapid software development teams working well together using Slack and everybody knows what everybody else is doing and is, is, is marching to the project plan. And it seems really under control, at least sometimes. Um, comparatively speaking, construction seems in just chaotic and so beyond the control of the contractor and the people involved and that it, it's, it's annoying and frustrating and horrifying. And so obviously, you know, in, in the world of, of connectedness that we live in, that shouldn't be so. So I think a bunch of companies have sprung up that are trying to address this problem. And one of them is called Plan Radar. And it's, um, you know, it's just, it's just this. It's a, it's a software platform that is, has an interface for all of the stakeholders in a big construction project. And they did a Series A. My friends at Bullpen Capital are in there, and they are located in Mexico. Sorry, 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 sorry. Austria. You're looking it's at the wrong Series one. B. Is a Series B. I was at the wrong column. Uh, series, yeah, it's a Series B. It's seventy million bucks that they did. They've raised a total of one hundred and twenty-nine. Insight Partners is in there, and they're located in Vienna, Austria. So this is a European company that is tackling a big problem that I can only imagine is worse in Europe with some of the bureaucracy around building that they have there. Maybe not worse than Palo Alto though, Chris, what do you think? Well, I can tell you that this is desperately needed. So many times during the process of my house construction, uh, I got on these damned conference calls and people would bring up these issues and nobody sends out anything afterwards saying, here are the tasks, here are the issues. Nobody puts anything on the plans or they're marking them up. I never get to see them. They forget half the time. I can't tell you, even just recently, there were major issues where I had to remind them and send an email from five years ago saying, hey, here's what you said you were going to do. And so this is desperately needed. 
as the owner, being able to have transparency, I would have paid for it. I, I went looking back on my project, if I had to pay for Plan Radar for everyone to get involved and do it, I would have done it in my own pocket because it would have saved me more money. So I love this idea. I really want to see it happen. Yeah. So, you know, um, scoring wise, they get 10 out of 10 for market size, gross margin, org scalability, op scalability, all of those, you know, it's just pure software and winner take most in viral growth. Well, you know, because contractors use it across multiple projects and then homeowners use multiple contractors, there is a viral component that builds over time. So, but not perfect, right? It's not going to be high cadence virality. So it's about a nine out of 10 there. And winner take most, well, it's more of a land grab than a network effect winner take most. So we gave it a nine out of 10 as well, because land grabs are just less certain. Um, that's, and that's that one. So last we have Chris, Draftia. So let's talk about Draftia. Draftia is very simply DraftKings for Latin America. And DraftKings, as you may know, is the leader in one of the leaders in daily fantasy sports. And daily fantasy sports, of course, is enormously popular because people love fantasy sports. But even more importantly, daily, daily fantasy sports is the gateway into gambling, which is truly a killer app because it is just colossal the amount of money that gets spent on it, even more if you count Robinhood. So gambling is huge all around the world. And of course, what you want to do is you want to gamble on the things you're familiar with, the local teams, the sports that you care about. You don't necessarily want to gamble on the NBA unless you're a huge NBA fan. Maybe you're more a fan of, of your local league. And so you also want to be served in your home language, although gamblers would learn Martian if they had to in order to place their bets but nonetheless it's still better to eliminate the friction and so it just makes sense to have a daily fantasy sports site for latin america and this one has an incredible pedigree so it's got some great investors uh, you mentioned bullpen you were in the wrong ca ca category but now bullpen is here and kajik which is one of the best investors in latin america sequoia of course we all know but then there's also this gentleman nigel eccles and nigel eccles i know because he is the co-founder of FanDuel. So you have exactly the right people backing this company. Sequoia is backing it. They really feel like there's a great founder market fit. Uh, there's just tremendous opportunity here. So like DraftKings, uh, winner take most, 10 out of 10. Viral growth, 10 out of 10. People want to be in fantasy sports with their friends. They want to compete with the people they know. Product market fit, still very early. Uh, we gave them a 7 out of 10 because this is early on, but we imagine it will improve over time. I'm sure there's wrinkles to running daily fantasy sports in latin america that are different than running in north america uh, market size 10 out of 10 gross margin 10 out of 10 org scalability again some customer service issues with angry betters takes it down to an eight off scalability back up to 10 that gives it a total score of 92 which is extremely high yeah and that's because of those first two tens right if you have great virality and a network effect that's strong it, you know fundamentally it's a social network and so social networks always do well with us. Social network with a, a real reason to engage. It's just a great model. It's a classic blitzscaler. So there you have it. January 2022 deals. We've got seven different blitzscalers in all these different industries. As always, we see the remarkable diversity of companies with everything from B2B grocery distribution to construction collaboration software to fantasy sports. 
and even fan-controlled football. So, you know, what it tells us is that the model of blitzscaling can be applied in many different places, even some that you would not expect, even some that seem like they're very stodgy and boring, if there is the opportunity for that winner-take-most market and that viral growth. And it's happening in all corners of the world. Well, very exciting stuff, Scott. So we are here nearly end of February. So hopefully we'll have another great crop of deals to discuss in a couple of weeks as we'll be going over February 2022 deals. Any final thoughts before we let our audience go, Scott? Well, just look forward to the spring and let's keep our fingers crossed that we have peace in uh, in, in the Ukraine and so that we can just go about our lives without worrying about geopolitical things, rocking our boat. Uh, that's, you know, that's something I really hope for. Amen to that. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Thank you so much for coming in, Scott. Thank you all for listening in and we'll look forward to hosting you again next month for another edition of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals.